You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. This morning's reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. Thanks, Patrick. Let's pray, and then we'll spend some time reflecting on this passage. But first, it's fitting that we pray. Let me pray. O Lord, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. Speak clearly to us, your people, through this, your word. We ask humbly but boldly. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Everybody prays. Uh, This, to me, would be something that I don't think you could really debate me on. Uh, Some may go long periods of time without praying, but I don't think there's anyone who walks our earth who hasn't said a prayer. I don't think it's possible to live life without praying. Everyone prays, at least at some point in your life. It might be a cry into the void of frustration. It might be a wishful hope of good luck and hopes for karma. You might be praying to a higher version of yourself and some kind of affirmation. You can do it. I can do this. I know I can do it. We all know that it's an instinct that humans pray. I think if we could time travel and go back a hundred years, and I could describe to you a very common ritual in our world, A ritual in which you experience something really wonderful and glorious. And you feel this internal instinct, this drive, to take a photo of that moment, to capture that moment, to share it on social media, almost as a prayer of thanksgiving to the gods of likes and comments. Or maybe, maybe even more close to the experience of prayer, if you could go back a hundred years and I could describe to you what it's going to be like for certain people when they experience injustice in the world or in the workplace, in their interactions, that their first instinct 
will be to go online onto Twitter and to cry out to the gods of public opinion about the grave injustice they've experienced in hopes that the gods and goddesses will be pleased uh, and hear their prayer and the mob will overturn the injustice. Listen, everybody prays. Whether it's the prayer of a little child hopefully wishing for something in the future or it's that prayer in utter desperation at your last breath. Prayer is a primal human instinct. But like all human instincts, it's something that we don't necessarily know how to do correctly. And like all instincts, it's something that sin has distorted and warped. It feels untamed. Our prayer life feels untrained. And when our prayers feel ineffective over time, Christian or not, we find ourselves praying less and less and less. Well, this passage that we're looking at and in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is trying to address us in our inadequacies about prayer, and he's trying to give us a path forward. Everybody prays, but how do you pray productively? Everybody prays, but how do you pray properly? Jesus gives us this Lord's Prayer, and he does it not just, uh, not just in the abstract. Here's a way to pray. He does it actually with two foils. I don't know if you could, you could sense it as it's being read or as you look down at your bulletin. There's two, two opposing ways to pray that he lifts up and he offers the Lord's Prayer in contrast to them. You have the way of the Pharisees or the religious hypocrites, the religious elite. And then next you have the way of what he calls uh, the Gentiles, those who had practiced all kinds of Greco-Roman uh, religions. And in the, the, the contrast of these two ways to pray, he sets forth the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to walk through this prayer, and I hope you'll see as we walk through the prayer, the way in which this prayer is in contrast, not only to the hypocrites and to the Gentiles, but also it's in contrast to the way you instinctively pray, or even the way you pray, uh, have been trained to pray. And it's my hope that Though everybody pray, this passage will make us pray differently this week. So here's what I want to look at. I'm going to have to be somewhat brief. Um, Jesus is going to teach us to make sure that we're praying to the right God. He's then going to teach us to make sure we're praying with the right goal. And then finally, he's going to teach us that we pray for the right gain. So he wants, to know, he wants us to know that our prayers are to the right God with the right goal for the right gain. So first, Jesus is going to teach us to pray and ensure that our prayers are going to the right God. This is why the prayer starts with our Father. Where do we see this, though? Jesus is actually, in this passage, as I said, criticizing both the religious elites, the Pharisees, which he's been doing throughout much of the Sermon on the Mount, and which he'll do throughout much of Matthew's Gospel. But it's interesting, he also is in this passage criticizing the Gentiles of his day. And he, you can see this in verses 7 through 8. These are the sort of non-Jewish polytheists. And he says they love to, to let out empty phrases. They assume that because they use many words, they are likely to be heard. And Jesus' challenge to them as he starts this prayer with our Father is that they need to know who they are praying to. They are praying to the wrong God. But how do we sure that we're praying to the right God? Well, look at verse 8. Jesus says, don't be like them. Why are we not to be like them? Does he say, because your God knows what you need before you ask? Certainly our God does know what we need before we ask. But that's not what he says. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask. This is why we start our prayers with our father. Jesus is saying we must pray to the right God. Don't join in the Greco-Roman religions of the time, re repeating lists of names like Jupiter and Mars and uh, Venus and Juno, etc., etc., hoping that one of these competing gods, you might be able to catch them in the midst of their boredom or catch them while they were actually uh, undistracted by other things. That You might be able to win over their attention Get their attention so that they, you might manipulate them to, to hear your prayers. Jesus is saying, oh no, 
we don't pray, you don't pray like this. You pray to your Father. The true God can't be more unlike these false gods. He is a Father who cares and listens. He does not need to be manipulated. He does not need to be roused to his attention. He's an attentive Father. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. Do you think Jennifer Gates, when she has trouble on her outlook, when there's an error on how she's handling her Microsoft Outlook, do you think she calls the Microsoft helpline and spends all this time with, with, on the helpline trying to escalate to a manager who can finally get her an answer? No. Why doesn't Jennifer Gates sit on a Microsoft helpline when her Outlook is not working? Well, unless you might not know, but Jennifer Gates happens to be the daughter of Bill Gates. And when your daddy created Microsoft, when your daddy ran Microsoft, when you're frustrated with your Outlook, you don't sit on a helpline. You don't even have to play the Karen and escalate to management, dropping your dad's name. You go straight to the source, and you ask your father for help. Even Elon Musk's child I saw who now wants nothing to do with him still drives a Tesla, you know. Even the worst of fathers still give their children what they need. The worst of fathers. And Jesus is saying this, when you pray, you are praying not to the worst of fathers, but the greatest of fathers, something that an earthly father could never, ever live up to, the father you always dreamed about, who is always attentive, who is always listening. You will not sit on the line with a secretary waiting for his ears. You will not be elevated to a call center of angels who will hope to find, you can find a way to escalate to him. You're not talking to a bad Santa who's thinking about whether or not you've been naughty or nice, whether or not to answer. You are praying to a loving and caring and attentive Father. And though he lives in the realm of heaven, though he is distant from you, at least as it relates to our understanding, we're limited in our, in our sort of physical sense and we can't see him and take him in with our eye. He's, he's no less a father. He's greater than a father. He's greater than any earthly father. And this is how you are to pray to him. Prayer isn't controlling God to get things from God. Prayer starts with a relationship of trust. A relationship that was established by him and is sustained by him. Now, by way of application, I wonder, if you were to journal all your prayers in the last month, and you were to set them before, let's say you set them before the elders. We called for a prayer journal investigation, you know? Everyone has to come to the Inquisition. And we were to look at your prayers. You know, what would we see if we saw these journals? Would we see the pleas of an orphan who assumes he has no father, she has no father? Would we see uh, a reluctance to prayer, pray, assuming that, well, if I could just get rid of that one sin, that addictive, nagging sin that I know I should be able to get rid of, then I will ask him for the big prayer requests. But since I can't get there, I better not. That's no way to treat a father. Listen, Jesus is telling us you must know that you're praying to the right God. And the God who made the heavens and the earth, the God who sustains all that you see, the God who gives to you the very breath, who sustains our earth right now, he wants you to call out to him as father. And he's not limited in the way an earthly father is. He can hear and answer each one of our prayers. So quit playing these games, assuming that if you just do enough Bible reading, maybe he'll hear you. If you use just the right theological phrases, you can kind of checkmate him or back him into a corner sort of playing with his sovereignty and his glory in such a way that he, he will be forced to answer, give it up. You're not an orphan. This is your father. Whatever's on your heart, he already knows. Lift it up to him. Do not pray to the wrong God. So we need to make sure we're praying to the right God. But next, Jesus says, we need to make sure we're praying with the right goals. And where do we see this? 
Well, is this not the criticism he has towards the Pharisees, what he calls the hypocrites, a word that just meant actors? These people who love to pray to be seen in hopes that they can sort of get good things from people by being seen. They do something good, prayer, for the wrong motives, and it becomes twisted. This is what Jesus is saying. They might stand before people and say, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will done, but their goal is something different. Their goal is that their name might be revered and highly respected, and that their kingdom and their will might be accomplished. As it exists in their mind, it might take place on earth. They want their status to grow. And Jesus' instruction is simple. Because that is a real and pressing temptation, if that is a temptation that faces you, go to the place where you are least likely to be seen. Pray in the place where you are least likely to be heard by someone else, and our God, who is not visible by the seen eye, will see and reward. The hypocrite's goal in prayer is to be seen, to grow their reputation as more godly, and to grow their power in society. The goal of our prayer is that God's reputation might be more visible, the reign of his throne might expand, and his will may be done as, as in, in the exact way it's done in heaven. I don't know how many of you have watched Ted Lasso. It's a funny show about an American uh, soccer coach who gets sent over to England to coach a soccer team in England because of a nasty divorce. Uh, the ex-wife wants to torment her husband by having a, an American football coach coach, uh, you know, British soccer. And as you know, uh, one of the subplots is, is that though this guy has no clue how soccer works, he does understand something of human nature, and he does understand the dynamics that come with any team. And you remember one of the many subplots is his, uh, his need to win over this man, Jamie Tart, right? You hear the Baby Shark song when, you, when you, they chant the Baby Shark song to his name, Jamie Tart. He's their all-star player, their player who's uh, you know, much greater than all the rest. And Ted Lasso is in this predicament because Jamie Tart will only play for his own glory. He'll only play for his own stats, for his own reputation. So a player might be wide open, and he might have an easy pass, but it's in his best interest to try his best to score a goal, and this is what he always does. And one of the fun subplots is, is that uh, you know, Ted Lasso has to figure out how to help Jamie Tart see that though he might be the best, he needs to contribute to a team. He's not fit to be the king of the team. He's losing relationships with all his teammates, and what's needed is that the, the, the reputation of the team grow. I don't know if you've seen the show. I hope that, that illustration made some sense. <laughs> what, this is what Jesus is trying to say. He's saying, listen, there's a real temptation to, to pray just to be seen. There's a very real temptation that exists. And let me tell you, as a pastor, it's very real. Um, my goodness, every time, I don't know if anyone else has unbelieving family members, but on one side of my family where no one's a believer, the most awkward time of my holidays is when the food is all out, the table is set, and then they say, oh, pastor, Kyle, would you pray for us, you know? It's this incredibly awkward moment where I find myself at a loss for words, which is rare if you know me, not sure exactly how to pray because I don't know how they interpret what I'm praying for and what to say. I think for most of us, though, our temptation probably is not necessarily uh, to be seen. But our temptation lies elsewhere. But Jesus is telling us that if you want to understand how to pray, whether this is, is in public or in private, at the beginning of the prayer, we must pray not that our kingdom grow, not that our will be done on earth as it exists in our mind, but that his kingdom expand and be made more real and present in our world, that injustice stop, that, it, that his kingdom flourish, that his ways go forward. Maybe what I'm trying to say is this. Yes, you're praying to your Father, but when you start your prayer, 
If you want to learn how to pray in a godly way, as Jesus is saying here, with the right goal, your goal is not to change God's mind about something. Your goal is that your will might be brought into conformity to another will that you know is greater, that is superior. What we're praying is this. You could start your prayer with this phrase all day this week. Lord, make me to want the things you want me to want. Make me to desire the things you have made me to desire. If you struggle with prayer, and if you're frustrated and and don't know how to pray, just start every day this week by saying, Lord, make me to want the things you want. And the, the tastes and small glories of your kingdom and the goodness of your rule, would you make it more evident and more present in my life and in the world in which I interact? Jesus, we're not praying here that Jesus would make us just more law-abiding citizens, but citizens who are more proud and honored to be a part of this particular kingdom. Though God's kingship might feel absent in this world, Jesus isn't saying that we sort of pray this kingdom in. What he's saying is that in the same way light seems to be shut, shut off from the child who has her eyes closed, you know, who turned out the lights. So also we're praying that our eyelids might be peeled open to see more and more of the way in which God's kingdom is around us and growing. This is the right goal of our prayers, not to get God into conformity to our will, but first to tune in our hearts and our will in conformity with God, that his reign, which starts in our hearts and which isn't visible at all times, might become more and more apparent and visible. This is the goal of our prayers, but now let's talk about what we ought to gain from our prayers. How do we pray for the right gain? You see, there's three petitions in this prayer towards, towards the goal, right? We're going to pray that God's name might be hallowed, that his kingdom might come and that his will be done. And then there's three petitions towards what we might say is our gain, okay? That we might have our daily bread, we might be forgiven from sin, and we might have this kind of protection from the evil or the evil one. Now, as an aside, actually, I was talking to Patrick right beforehand. You'll notice that when we pray the Lord's Prayer weekly, there's an ending that's not tagged on to this particular uh, passage in Matthew. If you have the King James Version Bible in front of you, it is tagged on. Um, some, some Greek manuscripts we have have this phrase, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Some don't. It is almost directly quoted from 1 Chronicles 29, sort of 11 through 13. It's not like it's an unbiblical thing to say. But the passage, the version that we have read uh, before you is from what seems to be the majority of the oldest manuscripts, which don't include that ending. The churches seem to always pray that with that ending, and that's why we keep it in there. That's an aside. What, is it, what, is it, what are we to gain? What, 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 is, what are we to gain in our prayer? Well, what is our instincts as it relates to prayer? I made the argument at the beginning that everybody prays. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but my hunch is that everybody prays. And the reason we pray is because we know there's something that we need that we lack the power to get. There's something beyond us. There's a sense in which there's a measure of desperation that comes upon us. And because of that, whether you're a believer or not, whether you call yourself religious or not, you cry out to some greater force. You need help from something. And this is our instinct as it relates to prayer. But Jesus is telling us, what is, what is the right goal? You know, if, if we have the right goal, what is the right thing we ought to be asking for and gain? What ought we to lift up specifically in our prayer lives to our Heavenly Father? And Jesus gives us various needs that we have. He talks about bodily needs. We have a bodily weakness. He says, Lord, today I entrust myself, we're praying, I entrust myself to you that you'll give me the food and calories I need to make it through my day. Jesus doesn't say, oh Lord, you know, we pray for the grain supply and we pray for the farmers that they would store the grain properly and we pray for the soil this year. You know, that as the farmer puts the seed in the soil, that the soil would be fertile. And, oh, Lord, we pray for the weather patterns. These weather patterns seem to be getting more and more extreme. 
So we pray that proper rain would fall on the field so that the crops could grow. And then, Lord, we pray that the farmers would be able to harvest properly and that the logistics would work out that it would come to our plate. Jesus says, keep it simple. Lord, sustain me for this day. By way of application, what does that mean? The stock market is incredibly complex. Logistics, supply chains, COVID has showed us just how fragile they are. At the end of the day, when we realize we are in a very sensitive position, a very desperate position, we go to our Lord and pray, Lord, in our bodily weakness, sustain us today. We need your help. But it's not just our bodily weakness, there's also a spiritual weakness. There's some kind of debt we've piled up against our Creator, which we must ask for alleviation from, for forgiveness. This isn't financial debt, but this is, in a very real way, uh, a way in which our sins sort of pile up against our God. We've sort of made withdrawals on credit against our God and His reputation, acting in our own ways, doing things that we see fit in our world, sort of trying to advance our own kingdoms. And these are piled up debts. And Jesus says we ought to be the type of people who realize those debts are so extreme, so extreme, that we instinctively are the type of people that forgive others, trusting that the only way we can have any interactions and call God our Father is that He is willing to forgive us, that He is willing to wipe the slate clean. Remember, chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount starts, beware, with, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order that you may be seen by them. Jesus is saying, make sure your prayer life matches your, your real life. And if you really see yourself as in desperate spiritual situation, have, have, filled with tremendous spiritual weakness, with a, buried in debt, if that's the situation you find yourself in, then be the type of person who prays and prays in such a way that you trust the Lord will indeed forgive this debt, and then you enact that this will be reflected then in how you live out your life and your relationship with others. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then we can maybe say that Jesus tells us to lift up a natural weakness that's ours. We know that our Lord tests, and we know that his tests can be overwhelming to us in our weakness. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're asking that God would protect us, that he would deliver us, that Satan, the evil one, would not have the power to overwhelm us, that a test that he puts in our place to strengthen our faith would not be something that causes us to stumble and fall. Jesus wants us to pray in such a way that there is a spiritual and unseen realm that we cannot understand, that we cannot fully uh, grasp and we cannot fully see. And because of that, in utter desperation, we must pray and ask that our Lord would indeed protect us from the evil one and from all that he would see fit to do to us. Listen, if you were to reflect on your prayer life, again, if we had this prayer, prayer book inquisition, which I promise we won't do, but if we were to have it, and you were to reflect on your prayer life, I wonder how come you don't pray? And if you're anything like me, as I reflected on this this week, the reason I don't pray is because I have not hit the type of situation where I feel my desperate need. This is why maybe non-Christians in our city cry out in prayers, maybe more than sometimes in Christians, because they, they, they realize their utter limitation. Listen, why don't people go to rehab until they hit rock bottom? Because first they have to exhaust their ability to sort of work out their plans their way before they really understand how desperate they are and how much they need help of another. So it is with our prayers. If you find yourself like me as a person who is not praying as frequently as you'd like, as regularly as you'd like, you need to ask yourselves, where are you naive? Where do you think you have more bodily strength than you really do? Or more spiritual strength than you really do? Or more sort of uh, supernatural strength against the evil one than you really do? You see, what you must realize is that we live lives of utter dependence on our Lord. 
And sure, we need to plan. We, you know, we need to plan for supply chain issues. We need to be wise in how we handle the stock market. But we must remember that there are far more variables than we could ever account for. There, there is no actuary here who could account for all of them, though some of you think you could. There's always some mystery coming. There's always the once in 10,000 year event that we can't possibly plan for. And because of that, we need to be realistic about this, and this will transform the type of people we are. We'll become the type of people who pray. We'll make wise investments and we'll pray. And when they fail, we'll pray. And when they succeed and we do extremely well, we'll continue to pray, realizing that these things are all in the hands of our Heavenly Father who loves us and is watching over us, and he will give us enough to get through this very day. Let me conclude this way. What should we make of this particular prayer, the Lord's Prayer, a prayer we play every week, and I would hope you pray even daily. In a mysterious sense, when you're praying the Lord's Prayer, you're not just praying about your immediate future, but you're also praying for your long-term future and the long-term future of the earth. You're praying for the future where God's kingdom comes to us in its fullness. You're praying that, you're praying that the Lord would usher in this future day into the present. This day when the name of our, our God is the name that's hallowed above all other names and is the name that is most protected and most lifted high. And the day when God's kingdom, when he finally defeats all of his enemies— all of, the, all of the enemies which torment our particular world, you're praying that that day when his kingdom uh, would fully be experienced on this world, that that future day would be experienced in the present. And, you, and you're praying that in the same way God's will is done perfectly in heaven, there's nothing that thwarts God's will, so also, Father, that day you promised on the last day when this will be true, you're praying, Lord, make that future day now. Bring the future into the present. That day, Father, when no one is hungry, give us this day our daily bread and bring in that world where no belly growls, where no one is hungry. And Father, bring forward that day where sin is no more our battle, where our sins are fully and finally forgiven, and where evil is fully and finally defeated and put under your feet. Lord, when that day comes, we pray that you would find fit for us to be welcomed there. And this is the good news of this story and the good news, this mic is killing me today, the good news of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when this day comes, we will be welcomed by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that on that day, when we are welcomed, he'll take us to go see our God, our Creator. And he will look you in the eyes, and he will look me in the eyes, and he'd say, let's go see our Father. The Jesus of Nazareth, who's the, who is there at the creation of the world, who took on flesh and became a human being just like us, sorry, the second person of the Trinity who was there at the creation of the world, uh, who, who took on flesh and became a human being just like us, he will be there welcoming us on that last day, and he will be the one that will welcome us into the presence of our Father. And with those nail-scarred hands, he will say, let's go and be present with our sisters and brothers in the presence of our Father, where praise will roll out forevermore. Friends, I hope I've been clear, but what I've been trying to say is this. Everybody prays. It's an instinct. It's an instinct because we know our limitations. And in Jesus Christ, all of our limitations, whether they're physical, spiritual, or this sort of supernatural, they've all been fulfilled in Christ. And in him we can have hope and life unending. Trust in our Lord. Let me pray. Our Lord, we thank you for teaching us how to pray, for we know that we are a weak people. We ask, Father, that even this week you'd sustain us nourish us, build us up, that you would make us a people who pray for the right things with the right goal, for the right gain. Father, draw near to us in our prayers. We know that you are indeed a good father. Satan would tempt us to believe you don't have our best interest in mind. Watch over us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at christchurchtoronto.ca or email us at info at christchurchtoronto.ca.